Amen. What a great song. Amen. I don't know if it's by God's providence or Pastor David looks at what my text is going to be, but those two songs right there were just a great leadway into our text today. So if you have your Bibles, please open up Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, As we continue our study in the Lord's Prayer, today we're going to look at just part of verse 9. And we're going to see how what Jesus places as the priority and what the priority should be in our prayers. So let's read the text, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 9. And the word of the Lord says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Lord, we pray that all that we say and do would be to the praise of your glory. Lord, we pray that your name would be honored and glorified, hallowed, revered as holy among us and among all the world. Now, Father, we pray as we look upon your word on what it means to hallow your name, that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word, that you would use it to conform us to your image. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to stop a hundred people walking down the street and ask them one question, just random, just whoever, believers, non-believers, whoever's walking down the streets of Rock Hill, and I were to ask them one question, And if I were to ask them, if you could have one request granted from God, now I know God's not our genie, we're not, you know, making one wish, but if I could ask somebody, if you could have one request granted from God, meaning you have one opportunity to ask him one thing, and he would do it for you, what would that one thing be? What do you think the answers would be amongst Uh, the world, amongst the culture, where we might hear a lot of different things. We might hear world peace. We might hear uh, to bring a loved one back from the dead. Or maybe to rescue a loved one that they know who's trapped in drug addiction. Or to end world hunger. Those are probably some of the questions that we would, or answers we would hear, right? Well, let's bring it home to you, believers, if you had one opportunity to ask God to do one thing for you and he would do it, what would that one thing you would ask him? Many of you might be the salvation of your child or extended family. Uh, For some of you, it may be asking God to rescue you from this horrible situation that you're in or to bring you a spouse or to mend a broken relationship with a close friend or family member, uh, or to end abortion, the Holocaust of abortion. Praise God. Amen. That would be wonderful. We pray that God would do that. Or to restore biblical marriage throughout our culture, to relent God's judgment upon our nation. Those would be some things that I would say, yes, amen, would love for the Lord to do those things. But how many of us, if we had that one opportunity for God to do one thing, how many of us would use that opportunity to ask the Lord, Lord, would you glorify your name throughout the entire earth? Would you ask, Lord, may your name be holy and hallowed throughout all mankind? Well, in our text today, Jesus continues to give us the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And he gives us what our priority should be and what the passion of our heart should be, and that God's name would be hallowed. And since God's ultimate purpose throughout redemptive history for why he does what he does is for the great glory of his name. Our primary focus in our prayer life and in all areas of our life must be to glorify his name. 
After giving the introduction or the invocation of this prayer on how we should pray, I went through this last week, addressing God as our blessed and loving Father to revere Him, to give Him honor that He is due, uh, our Father who art in heaven. After Jesus does that, Jesus says the first way in which we are to pray is to pray, hallowed be your name. So what does this mean? Where the word hallowed in the original language, it's a verb, it's an action. And it means to make holy or to sanctify or to set apart as unique, as holy, as different, to render as something that's sacred. Now, some commentators put this portion of the Lord's Prayer in the category of the introduction of the acknowledging God, our Father who is holy. Uh, our Father, your name is hallowed, right? Some, uh, some commentators put it in the introduction part of the Lord's Prayer. But I don't see that as the introduction. I see this as one of the petitions, one of the requests that God is telling us we ought to pray and ask Him for. And the reason I come to that is because the word in the original language is in the imperative mood, which means that it's a command or a request. It's not making a statement, it's making a, a request. And all of the other per, uh, petitions are in the imperative mood. Uh, so, for instance, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, give us this day is in the imperative mood. It's a request asking God to give us this day our daily bread. So Jesus is commanding that we ask the Lord to make his name hallowed, to make his name holy, to make his name set apart, to be rendered as sacred. And what does it mean when we say God's name? What does it mean to hallow, make sacred God's name? Many, many people will say, I don't even know what God's name is because there's so many different names for God. Like, which name do we make holy? Uh, is it God? Is it Jehovah? Is it Yahweh? Is it Elohim? Uh, which is it? Which name do we make God holy? And Jesus isn't referring to a specific name of God. He reveals himself throughout Scripture by giving us different names, yes. But he's not speaking of a specific name that we need to, uh, to make holy or to exalt. So what does he mean? What he means when we are asking for God's name to be hallowed, he's speaking of God's essence and his attributes. Who God is. Who he is and what he has done, his essence and his attributes. So what this means is who God is in his core, who is na what his nature is, what his essence is, and the attributes he possesses. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones describes the, God's name this way. He says, quote, The name means all that is true of God and all that has been revealed concerning God. In other words, the name means God as he truly is revealed to us in Scripture, and this God as what he has done and what he is doing. You know, a man or a woman is known by his name or her name, is he not? When you hear or think of a person's name, the emotions and actions that follow determine our disposition towards that person. Uh, for example, when you hear the name Joe Biden, what feelings are invoked in your heart? How do you speak about him? I see smiles, but I'm serious. How do you speak about him when you speak to other people? It's not just the name and the letters. It's the essence of who Joe Biden is and his attributes, what he has done and what he is doing. So the feelings that are invoked determine your disposition about that person versus the name George Washington. When I say that name, what feelings are invoked in your heart? And how do you speak about this person who's no, no longer alive when that person's name is brought up in conversation? When we think of the person's name, it determines our disposition to that person. How we feel, how we feel, or how people feel about your name, 
for instance, when people speak about your name, it's important to you, is it not? Absolutely. Well, if it's important to you on how people think and talk about your name, how much more important than a thrice holy God? And Jesus, in this model prayer, he says that our priority in our prayer life to God is that his name would be hallowed, holy, both in our lives and throughout the world. If you look at verse 10, this gives us an indication that this petition, along with the next two, have to do with the activity in heaven, okay, matching the activity on earth. So in verse 10, it says, give us this, uh, excuse me, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So these first three petitions, followed by on earth as it is in heaven, give us the indication that what we're asking for has already taken place in heaven, and we're asking God to match that activity in heaven on earth. We pray that God's name would be hallowed on earth as it already is in heaven. Listen, you, in heaven right now, uh, there's no dishonoring of the name of God. Uh, God's name is hallowed and honored and revered uh, in heaven, and we're asking him that his name would be honored, revealed, and holy here on earth. The Boys and Girls Catechism puts it this way. Uh, it says, How, what do we pray for in the first petition? And the answer is that God's name may be honored by us and by all men. To hallow the name of the Lord is to show honor to his name, to glorify his essence, his very being and his attributes, to glorify his work and his person. To hallow his name is to declare the summation of his glory, the summation of his beauty, the summation of his absolute perfection, uh, his radiance, his power, his awesomeness. That is what it means to hallow the name of God. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. When we pray this, when we pray this would be done by us and all a mankind across the globe, we're fulfilling Jesus' command to pray Hallowed be thy name. But I want, to stress the, uh, I want to stress the priority that Jesus gives on the petition within the context uh, of the sermon. We must remember the immediate context when Jesus gives uh, this prayer. If you look in your Bibles, uh, at verse 9, he says, Pray then in this way. Uh, right after he says in verse 8 that your father has no, knows what you need before uh, you ask him. So because God knows your needs better than yourself, make it your priority to petition our loving father to glorify and make his name great among the nations. Uh, to glorify and make his name great among our country because he already knows your needs because he knows your needs better than you think you know them. Focus the priority of your prayer on bringing glory to his name in your own home, in your own neighborhood, in your city, in this country, in your own heart. Later in the chapter, in chapter 6, Jesus stresses the point of not worrying about your own needs. He spends a bunch of verses, verses 25 all the way to 34, You know, if God so clothes the grass on the field, will he not much more clothe you? Your heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air, friends. Are you not worth more than they? And he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And all these things, the things you think you need, all these things will be added unto you. When we seek first the kingdom of God, Uh, We do this when we make it a priority in our prayers to ask, seek, and plead with God that he would make his name holy, that he would glorify himself in our lives and among all mankind. But we live in a culture today that seeks to bring glory to itself and teaches men, women, boys, and girls to make their own name holy great 
Isn't that the tune of our culture? The self-glorification of man? But that stands over and against the glory of God. Just four verses prior to our text, Jesus rebukes those who seek to make their own name great by praying to be seen by other men. Jesus rebukes them in verse 5. These men were praying so that they would be seen and that they would get the glory. That they, they were trying to make their name great and not God's name, God's name, great. This has been mankind's problem from the beginning, hasn't it? Man's desire to make his name glorious, to exalt and honor his own name and not the Lord's. We see this very early in God's timeline of redemptive history in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel. You all know the story. After God floods the earth, he gives Noah the same command he gave, he gave Adam and Eve. He says to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 11, uh, excuse me, that's in Genesis chapter 10. So in then the very next chapter in chapter 11, after God gives the command... Again, to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That means go, fill the earth, right? Subdue it. And in chapter 11, we see what, what mankind does. After they journeyed east in verse 2 and verse 4, it says, They, mankind, said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and listen, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, it will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They tried to make themselves a great name. This has been mankind's problem since the beginning. This is your problem that you struggle with, is that you want to make yourself great. You want to make your name great. You want to get the glory that in our flesh in our sinful state. And only a redemptive heart can flip that to do all things for the glory of God. So God had to confuse the languages so that they would scatter over the face of the earth. Uh, And this is mankind in his fallen state. Having an outright rejection of their creator and seeking to make themselves a great name. And God will not give his glory to another. This is why the psalmist in chapter 115 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. We must not be conformed to this world, my friends, because the culture has a pressure upon mankind for the glorification of self, uh, for our names to be glorified. But we must renew our minds and fight against that. And it's even infiltrated the church. We see the self-glorification of man inside the church, do we not? With the big Eva celebrity ministries and all of these big ministries are built around this one person and it's exalting the one person. So we see it infiltrating the church. But our priority must be for the exaltation of God's name. And why must our priority be the, that God's name would be honored among us and by all men? When we make the glory of God's name a priority in our prayer life, listen, this is important. When we make the glory of God's name a priority in our prayer life, we align to the very will of God. Because God's will, he does all things for his name's sake and for his own glory. We pray for God's name to be hallowed because God's ultimate goal and his ultimate allegiance is not to mankind, but his ultimate allegiance is to his own great name and for his own great glory. This is a hard truth for many people to swallow, and it's a stumbling block for others. But God unequivocally, friends, and unapologetically declares this truth in his word. 
that the ultimate purpose in the mind of God for why he has done what he's done, why he is doing what he's doing, and why he will do what he will do is for the glory of his name. For the glory of his praise. From beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus makes this, God makes this crystal clear. Why did he create you? Why did he create all things? For his own glory. Psalm 19.1, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. All the things you see is declaring the glory of God. He made all of this for the glory of his name. Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created by him and for him. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are what? All things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God made Israel his people. He says, not because you were a great tribe, but he made God, God made Israel his people for his own glory, for the sake of his name. Isaiah 43, 7 Uh, When God is speaking of his chosen people, Israel, God says, everyone who's called by my name and whom I created, listen, for my glory. Isaiah 43, 21, the people whom I formed for what? For myself will declare my praise. So God chose Israel, chose to set his love upon them, for his own name's sake. God then rescued his people from Egypt. Why? For his own glory. Why did he rescue them from the hand of Pharaoh? Well, Exodus 9.16 and Romans 9.17 says this. He raised up Pharaoh to show his power and that his name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. And then in Ezra chapter 20, verse 8, we read that God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, even though they rebelled against God in Egypt. Why? For the sake of his name. He said in Ezra 20, verse 8, Then I resolved to pour out my wrath upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. God created things for his glory. He chose Abraham and made the Israelites his people for his glory. He rescued a rebellious nation for his name's sake. God rescued them from the Red Sea when they rebelled against God at the Red Sea. God still saved them, and he says in Psalm 106, 8, Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Then while in the wilderness, when Israel continually defiled themselves over and over by rebelling against God, God wanted to Wiped them out at one point, but he relented annihilating them. Why? Ezekiel 20, verse 14, says he relented from annihilating them in the wilderness for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. Then while Israel is in the promised land, in 1 Samuel 12, 22, God promised not to abandon his people while they're in the promised land. Why? He says, on the account of his great name. Do you see the ongoing theme here, my friends? And then before the Babylon exile, during the time of the prophet Isaiah, God declares Israel a rebel, but he says in Isaiah 48, 9, listen, for the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. And for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Then he says in verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. 
For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. Then when they are in exile, we read one of the greatest promises given by God in all of Scripture, and that's in Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to read it. In Ezekiel 36, uh, verses 24 to 28, we read uh, some of the greatest truths about the doctrine of regeneration, uh, how God takes a heart of stone and turns it to a heart of flesh, how God gives a uh, regenerate believer the Holy Spirit to cause them to walk in obedience to his law. We often hear uh, those, those texts, right, where I will sprinkle clean water on you, uh, where I will cleanse you, where I will give you a new heart, I will remove the heart of stone. We read those all the time, but oftentimes we don't read before and after the passage for why God is doing this, okay? Now, if you look at verse 19, after God reminds his people that they defiled the promised land with their sins, verse 19, he says, I also scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the lands. According to their ways and their deeds, I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. And look at verse 21. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Then he gives these great promises and there's much debate on these promises. Is this to point to a future physical Israel? Or is this fulfilled in the church? And that's not the point of why I'm bringing this text to you. I don't have time to kind of go through that. Uh, wherever you land on its fulfillment, if it's physical Israel or fulfilled in the church, that's really irrelevant on why I want to show you th- uh, this text. Uh, it's irrelevant to why God acts in this way. Uh, the underlying reason as to why God will take a rebellious people in Israel... Uh, or a rebellious people in you and shower his grace upon them by renewing their heart, by giving them the spirit, uh, by giving them a heart of flesh for their heart of stone. Uh, The reason why he does that is for his holy name. And he says that in verse 32. Look at the text. He says, I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. So friends, we see throughout all of redemptive history, from Genesis all throughout the Bible, we see God working, we see God moving all throughout history, and he's doing it for many reasons, but all of those many reasons are subservient to the ultimate overarching reason for why God is doing what he's doing and that ultimate reason friends the ultimate allegiance that God has is for his name's sake for his own glory moving to the new testament God becomes man in Jesus Christ lives a life of perfect obedience to the law of God dies upon the cross to atone for our sins, is raised from the dead to sit at the right hand of God the Father. Why? For what purpose? Because of his great love? Yes. Amen. Because of his great love and because of his great mercy. But the Bible declares there's a greater purpose in the mind of God. And that's that the life of Christ that he lived was ultimately for the glory of God. The death of Christ was ultimately for the glory of God. And the resurrection of Christ was ultimately for the glory of God. Go with me to John chapter 12, and I'll show you. John chapter 12, and verse 23. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So he's speaking of his impending sacrificial death on the cross. Now drop to verse 27. He says, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. 
but for this purpose I came to this hour. He's speaking to the death he knows he's getting ready to experience. Look what he says in verse 28. Speaking of his death on the cross, he says, Father, glorify your, what? Name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So God the Son and God the Father here are both referring to Jesus' death upon the cross that the ultimate purpose is to glorify God. Now this is repeated again in Jesus' words in chapter 17 of, of John. So flip over to 17, verse 1. This is the high priestly prayer. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. It's here. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Again, speaking of his death. But look at verse 4. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. What was the work? What was the work? Okay, we looked at the death of cross, but oftentimes we, or death of Jesus, oftentimes we miss the life of Jesus. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the law of God, the life that you and I must live to be good enough and righteous enough to go to heaven. And Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Verse 5, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. What's he speaking of there? He's speaking of his resurrection. Okay, not only is his death on the cross going to glorify God, but when he's raised to life again, he's going to be glorified together with the Father with the glory that they had before the world was. Why did God condescend to earth? Why did he live a life of perfect obedience to the law of God? Why did he willingly allow himself to suffer under the hands of men and under the wrath of God for our sins? Why did he do all that? To forgive us of our sins? Yes. To redeem us from the pits of hell? Yes. Praise God. Because of his great love? Yes. Because of his mercy? Yes. Because of his justice? Yes. Because of his righteousness? Yes. But all of those are secondary to God's ultimate reason for the person and work of Christ. His ultimate reason and purpose is for the sake of his great name, for his own glory. In fact, not only is the work of Christ in his life, death, and resurrection for the name of God, for God's glory, but your own salvation, friends, is for the glory of God. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 1. So turn with me there. And this was actually, we actually sung most of Ephesians chapter 1 uh, in that song, Come Praise and Glorify. So as you turn to Ephesians, 1, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, our confession of faith puts it this way in chapter 3, paragraph 3. By the decree of God, for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. Others being left to act in their sin to their own just condemnation to the praise of his glorious justice. So Ephesians chapter 1, if you look at verse 5, it says he predestined us. That means he marked us out. He chose us beforehand. To adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Why did God save you? Because of his great love and mercy. But his ultimate and supreme reason and purpose for your own salvation is to the praise of his name. For his glory, not for your glory, but for his. He repeats this in verse 12. You drop down there. It says, To the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Again, in verse 14, speaking of the Holy Spirit, 
is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Why? To the praise of his glory. Brothers and sisters, it brings us great comfort that he elected us before the foundation of the world for his glory. He saved us for his great glory. And he even saved or forgave you of your sins for his great glory, 1 John 2, 12. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit for his glory. And he will keep you from falling for his own glory. This is, re- this is repeated throughout the New Testament. You can't read too much of the New Testament without running into this again. Uh, the Apostle Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Peter brings terminology in the Old Testament, uh, texts that are used for Israel, and applies it to the church. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You've been set apart, a people, for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, when we hallow and make the name of the Lord holy amongst ourselves, amongst our neighborhood, amongst our city and our nation, when we praise and glorify the name of the Lord, we proclaim his excellencies, as Peter says. Again, Romans 1, verse 5, Paul makes a remarkable statement here. He's speaking of the apostleship that they received. He says in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. Remember, Paul was to preach to the Gentiles. Why? For his name's sake. I think we miss that when we read. You've got to slow down sometimes. Paul is saying we receive this apostleship to take the gospel into all of the nations to see the Gentiles come to obedience through faith. Why? For his name's sake. And we've seen that for the last 2,000 years. Have we not seen the gospel spread and the Gentiles, who, unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile, have we not seen the gospel spread through all the nations, as Jesus said, like a mustard seed that starts small and grows until it's the biggest uh, uh, tree in the garden? We see that, and why? We see the Gentiles coming to obedience. We see nations coming to Christ. We see the church growing through the power of the gospel. It's God's will for his name's sake to be the reason. Well, this flies, this, uh, this idea that's throughout the Bible flies in the face of modern Christianity, does it not? Where the ultimate end of your salvation is for yourself. It's for your comfort, right? For your joy. And that's what we hear in much of today's uh, modern church. And I'm not negating the love of God. God is love. For God so loved the world, yes and amen. Uh, God chose to set his love upon rebellious Israel. And in the same way, he chose to set his love upon you. An enemy of God, the Bible says. He chose to set his love. If you're in Christ, he chose out of his own free grace, out of his own free will, to set his love upon you. And that is an amazing thing to think about, the love of God and the grace of God. But there's an overarching reason why he chose to set his love upon you. Not for your glory and not for your name, but for his own glory, for his own namesake. This is such a sweet doctrine to the soul, brothers and sisters. If we would get this deep into our soul, if we would feel the awesomeness and the weight of this great doctrine, it would bring comfort to our souls in time of distress. It would bring about a zeal for his name to be honored among the nation. It would bring us great love for those who are outside of Christ. It would bring us great courage 
in the time where we're faced with a decision to compromise or to speak for his name. And it brings us peace. God is not only glorified in our salvation, brothers and sisters, he's also sadly, from our perspective, he's glorified in the condemnation of sinners. God's glory will be displayed when he judges and condemns sinners for eternity. It will be displayed because his justice will be on display. So God is even glorified in the condemnation of sinners. We must understand that because God's priority and allegiance to his great name, that his priority is for his name to be hallowed, our aim and our desire and our focus must be the same. Our deepest desire must be that all men and women across the world would hallow God's name to revere his name. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones sums up this petition this way. He says, quote, to hallow God's name, he says, quote, it means a burning desire that the whole world may bow down before God in adoration, in reverence, in praise, in worship, in honor, and in thanksgiving, end quote. And now listen, here's the kicker. When the name of Jesus Christ is exalted, when the name of Jesus Christ is hallowed and glorified, then God is glorified. At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, Philippians 2.11. Brothers and sisters, is that your ultimate desire? Is it your ultimate desire to see the name of Jesus revered? Respected, exalted, honored, hallowed, glorified? Is that your deepest desire? Amongst all men and women, across all the lands, all the nations of the world? That was the desire of the saints throughout all redemptive history. You read all the prayers, so many prayers throughout the the Bible, you'll see that the desire was for the name of the Lord to be exalted above all nations. Psalm 8.1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 34.3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. In Psalms 113 through 118, it's called the Egyptian Hillel. Uh, This was memorized by Jewish children by the time they were age of five. Psalm 113 through 118. And listen to how it starts. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is is to be praised. And then later in the Hillel, Psalm 115, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Psalm 17, excuse me, Psalm 72, verse 17 says, May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. Psalm 145, 21 says that all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Is that your deepest desire? That all flesh, that the entire world would bow down and revere and bless God's name forever? David's prayer of thanksgiving for the covenant that God made with him, he says, let your name be established and magnified forever. First Chronicles seventeen twenty four. David prays to God that he would do all that God promised to David so that your name may be magnified forever. And then Solomon, his prayer of dedication of the temple, says something very similar. He says that when the foreigner comes to your place, that you would hear him 
in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name. Nehemiah chapter 9, when all Israel assembled together with fasting, they read the law for a fourth of the day. Then they took another fourth of the day and they repented for one fourth of the day. They were in repentance. In Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 5, the Levites pray, Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all above all blessing and praise. There's so and these are just a little you could go on and on and on. This is the heartbeat of the Bible, friends, that the glory of God, the hallowing of his name, the display of his glorious splendor, the exaltation of his son Jesus Christ. Now, while our deepest desire ought to be that God's name be hallowed and honored amongst all the nations, we must first look inward into our own souls. Is God's name hallowed in your life? Is God's name revered as holy in your own heart? We must first look inward. Perhaps God's not holy in your life. Perhaps God's not hallowed and set apart in your life because maybe you're not born again. Maybe God God hasn't given you a heart of flesh for your heart of stone. If you could care less about the name of the Lord being drugged through the mud, if you could care less about people defaming and mocking the name of the Lord out in the culture, perhaps God hasn't really changed your heart. You know, I think about the young man up, up in uh, Wisconsin, I uh, forget his name, a young man, and he had zeal for the name of the Lord. When he saw that there was going to be drag queens dancing for children in the public square, uh, his desire was that God's name would be honored, so he went out there and read the Bible, just read the Bible. And you can see the video that went viral, the tyrannical cops came and physically uh, yanked the mic out of his hand and arrested him arrested him for reading the bible and standing by while they broke the law of the town which was not to engage in in, uh, insinuating sexual activity to minors that was against the law While they sat by and watched that, they arrested the Christians. That young man had a zeal for the name of the Lord. And he uh, didn't stand by, do nothing. So I'm going to conclude the message today with some practical ways by which you can hallow the name of the Lord. I'm just going to list these. I'm going to go real quick. Thomas Watson gives these. There's 16 practical ways. I'm just going to list them. They're going to come fast on how you can, as a believer, hallow the name of the Lord. Now listen, if you're not in Christ, you're not born again, there's nothing that you can do uh, except for repenting and coming to Christ to hallow his name. But these are 16 things that you can do to hallow the name of the Lord. You can hallow God's name first by professing his name. Uh, Second, when we have a high appreciation and esteem of him and set him highest in our thoughts, highest in our affections. When we trust in his name, you hallow God's name when you never make mention of it, but with the highest reverence. When you love his name, you hallow it. You hallow the name of the Lord when you give him a holy and spiritual worship. Holy meaning as he prescribes, and spiritual meaning you worship him from your heart. Number seven is you hallow the Lord when you hallow his day, when you make the Lord's day holy unto him. You hallow the name of the Lord when you ascribe the honor of all you do to him. You hallow his name when you obey him, when you lift up his name in praise. You hallow his name when we grieve when his name is dishonored like the young man in Wisconsin. 
We hallow the name of the Lord when we give the same honor to God the Son as God the Father. When we stand up for His truths, when we endeavor to win souls to Him, we hallow His name. When we prefer the honor of His name over the things that are nearest and dearest to us, we hallow His name. And finally, he says, when we have a holy conduct and a holy speech, we hallow the name of the Lord. What is the ultimate purpose in the mind of God? Without exception, without reservation, God has declared it is all for His glory and all for the glory of His great name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are our great and awesome God, worthy to be praised. Lord, we do ask, as you gave us the very first petition, we ask you today, Lord, that you would hallow, make holy, glorify your name among all the nations, Lord. But may it start with us. Lord, I pray that you would hallow, glorify your name, in each of our hearts today. Lord, if there be any today, Lord, that are listening, that are outside of Christ, Lord, maybe they're being convicted because they've been indifferent to your glory. They've been indifferent for living for you. God, I pray that you would use your word, God, to bring them to repentance and faith in Christ. Lord, we do long, we desire that your name would not be mocked, that your name would not be used as a curse word, that your name would not be laughed at, spit upon. Lord, you will have justice. But God, we do pray that your name would be glorified amongst all men, all women, all boys, all girls. Lord, we pray your name would be hallowed and glorified right here in our church. It would be hallowed amongst our city, amongst our state, our nation. All for your glory, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.